Hello everyone and welcome to Gutshot, home of the hottest takes in Magic the Gathering. I am Fred, also known as War Crimes Uwu, and joining me as always is my lovely co-host Will, uh, who can be found at Aggressive Rhetoric. Yes, welcome to Gutshot everyone, the only MTG podcast that once, true story, bought a playset of Aether Vials specifically for their five-color casual Zubera deck. How are you doing, Fred? How's it, how's it going today? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. My birthday is on Thursday. My grandmother is coming down to visit. Uh, I'm loving Kaldheim. It is my favorite set in years, both in uh, limited and constructed. So it has been as much of a treat for me as I thought it would be. And I've been just jamming that. Uh, so I'm doing excellent. How are you doing? I, I, I'm i doing well. Um, I heard that you made a lot of money recently and not in the way that everyone would assume. Uh, so w- w- you want to tell us uh, what, what's go- been going on in your wallet lately? Uh, yeah, so my uh, my Kaldheim pre-release, I do a paper pre-release. So normally pre-release is like one of my favorite things in Magic. I do all three over the weekend at my, my local game store. But of course, because of COVID, I've only been able to do one pre-release, and it's with my partner. Usually we end up doing two if we like the set a lot. Um, but uh, I do one pre-release with my partner uh, in paper. And my pre-release kit was stacked. Uh, I got uh, Promo Kaya, two Turgrid with the Lantern on the back. Uh, and um, a showcase, not Phyrexian, but like the um, the Viking Boring Collects with maybe the most grotesque art ever in Magic the Gathering. Dude's just ripping a deer in half, um, yeah. doing hot girl shit, as we talked about on the other episode. Um, but yeah, uh, like $100 worth of value in my pre-release kit, and I only had to trade in the Voring Collects to keep the rest of the stuff. So that felt really good. Yeah, they like, it paid for the pre-release kit. I, I sold it because I can't imagine that card is going to be worth more than $12 in a couple weeks, but... I don't know. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. No, I think that's perfectly fine. That reminds me of the time that I had a really great deck for the War of the Spark pre-release. I opened up War Karn and then Teferi Time Raveler. And I was like, I was like I'm was i never going to play these cards. I'll just sell them while they're expensive. And uh, I, I don't really regret selling Karn, but I do regret selling Teferi. Oh, yeah, yeah. That one only went up. Um, the only the only other valu- more valuable pre-release I've ever had was uh, Shadows Over Innistrad. I got a promo Avacyn and a regular Avacyn, and I was able to trade the promo Avacyn for a box. Ooh, that's that's pretty okay. good. Now, now, I want to know, how, yeah. how was your deck? Uh, it was excellent. Uh, most of my rares were in black-white. Um, I had the Snow um, Tutor that tutors for a legendary permanent, a Saga, or a Snow permanent. Uh, and so I could grab the Kaya. I played both of the Turgrids, although you just play Turgrid for the Lantern. Um, I got the Ox and the Plow, two Ox and the Plow. And you know, you, you got to be plowing if you want to be wowing in the <laughs> Kaldheim Limited. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I haven't uh, delved into Kaldheim Limited uh, yet uh, or might not ever. But if I ever do, I'm going to keep that in mind. Thanks for the hot tip. I just can't imagine liking Magic this much and only playing Constructed. <laughs> Mm-hmm. but to each their own well all i've been doing is uh poisoning people in standard and maybe i'll talk a little bit more about that on a future episode but I are would... you one of those toxic bernie bros i've been hearing about yes <laughs> but nice. i want to talk about historic today yeah that does not surprise me i know that's kind of been your pet format ever since it was introduced you were sort of going against the grain and saying that it should not turn into modern and i'm starting to see what you mean now um, tell us about what we are going to do to Historic in this episode. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, uh, you know, as a spoiler for this episode, most of the cards I'm going to talk about are just modern staples. <laughs> I think, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, for those of you who don't know, Historic is the, uh, for lack of a better term, the eternal format of Magic Arena. Um, all cards that are standard legal 
since uh, Arena came out is are legal and historic. And they've also been adding cards kind of piecemeal, um, both in anthology formats, which are basically small collections of cards that you can buy, and then you get four of every card, you know, kind of runs the gamut between super competitive and kind of casual fun cards. Um, they've been doing um, uh, remastered sets kind of going back. Uh, so we had uh, Amonkhet remastered and then Kaladesh remastered, adding um, almost all of the playable cards from those sets into historic and then those two sets would also have um what would you call them like masterpieces um expeditions uh, something like that i mean yeah i mean they were just added as regular cards uh they used the like art from the uh, masterpiece version but yeah like thought seas and coco were both in Amonkhet remastered which are like modern staples so when we say cards we want to add to historic anthology we also mean just cards they could slip into remastered sets and we'd be happy. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, yeah, that's a good way to, to look at it. Um, but those are the main ways that cards that are not standard legal are being added to historic. Now, cards that have already been added uh, to historic this way have been, you know, kind of well-known powerful cards throughout Magic's history. Uh, like Frederick just mentioned, Thoughtseize was added to Historic through Amonkhet Remastered. A, a collected company was added. Um, but then you Dubious also... Dubious Challenge. <laughs> Dubious Challenge, yeah. Um, one of the recent anthologies added all of the Kamigawa shrines, which, like, you know, who who was asking for that? But they're super fun, and they're supported in, um, you know, recent magic sets so we wanted to make our own historic anthology so this would be historic anthology four i think maybe three but we are going to talk about the uh a list of cards that each of us came up with that we most want to see added to historic through an anthology or through those those other means I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, I, I, I will go ahead and reveal most of my picks are also modern cards, but I did try to back away from that on a few of them. So hopefully this will be a relatively interesting list. Um, but you've got the first card, and it was one I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about for Historic. So uh, lead, lead us into this discussion. As you wrote on the, uh, on the slide here, coming in strong, I think so. My first pick is Path to Exile. This is, um, I, I would say, probably one of the more powerful removal spells in you know, modern magic history. Um, this was originally in Jumpstart which was uh you know which was brought to arena but they made some changes i think lightning bolt was another one they actually yeah, yeah they took out path to exile from the arena version of jumpstart because they thought oh well this is a this is too powerful for what we want uh historic to be and this was also the same set that gave us muxus the the goblin uh, right right for sure um so um, so our idiot editor uh, put the textless version of path to exile into the slideshow um, will you uh, tell us what Path to Exile does? Sure. Um. Yeah, I could do that. So Path to Exile is a one-mana instant, so one white. Um, exile target creature, its controller may search their library for a basic land and put it into play tapped. Am I getting that right? That's from memory. Uh, yes, that is correct. Okay, yes, yes. So we have played in a historic that has had thought season for a while. And this is my personal opinion, but I believe that Path to Exile is on the same power level as Thoughtseize. If historic is if, if historic is able to have a powerful card like Thoughtseize, I think it should it should exist alongside Path to Exile. 
Um, I think Thoughtseize is a little bit better than Path to Exile, personally. I think the drawback is just not as important. Like, having your opponent's creature in control, having your opponent's, like, Snapcaster in control, it can put them onto, like, Cryptic more easily. Um, just stuff like that. There are cases where, like, path to, pathing your opponent's creature gives them a material advantage, and there's there's not really many cases where Thoughtseizing your opponent gives them a material advantage. Um, so I would say that it is that Thoughtseize is definitely a better card, but that is an argument for Path to Exile being legal and historic. I think especially with like monitoring the balance between colors, uh, white has been like sort of we are in an era of magic where white white is probably the weakest color. Um, it's not getting effects like balance anymore. Um, so I think Path to Exile would really be the, the maybe the shot in the arm that white needs. And it would also the more colors have insane one mana removal because black has uh, fatal push on arena. Um, the better small creatures we can get. This opens up the possibility for things like Tarmogoyf, Dark Confidant, etc. If you can remove it for one mana, they're more likely to print these really strong creatures. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, white, I mean, it is it is the zeitgeist of magic content today, is that white isn't a really bad spot. And if you want white to be better, give them their one of their best cards. Uh, and, and in terms of power level, this isn't even like white's best modern card. Uh, you know, it's a Skyclave Apparition, which is in standard and already in arena, in historic. So like, it's not really even the best thing white can do. So yeah, yeah I just think the historic has proven itself to be a very powerful format. If it's going to be powerful, you know, Path to Exile, should be in there plus this is going to be a um, thread throughout all of my picks is that you know historic should be a showcase of the history of magic and i think if you're going to do that you need path to exile yeah the only problem i really see with this is that like path to exile is a fair fun card that can even go in some aggro and mid-range decks but having path to exile and doom scar might make blue white x control decks a little bit too strong in historic so that's something i'd want to keep an eye out for but i think that would be more um, the fault of the really good blue and white control cards we've seen over the time that Arena has existed, like both the fairies and um, you know the new Nico and stuff. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Um, <laughs> if Path Exile gets printed, it will be an like a, it will automatically be a top card for the format, and I think that's fine. But yeah, so that's my first pick, Path to Exile. Um, you have a bit more off the beaten path pick here with uh, with your pick. Why don't you tell us about Boreal Druid? Have a double pick it's boreal druid and scrying sheets uh scrying sheets is the one that sees more play in modern but i just want a couple of pretty strong snow cards um that make historic snow that give you a reason to play snow in historic right the issue with like well energy was powerful enough to see a little bit of historic play anyway but the issue with these kind of parasitic mechanics is that no eternal format wants them until you've reached a critical mass of cards that use that mechanic from standard sets so if we inject two of the sort of more powerful snow cards into Historic, like what I'm suggesting is the one-drop Mana Dork and Scrying Sheets, which sees some modern play and some control decks that, um, you know, will just play snow basic lands so that they can use this to have a chance to draw an extra card late in the game. Um, these cards really help us. These cards would really make um, snow able to do something in Historic. Like, it's a pretty good deck in Standard, but, like, you know, with Yorn now, uh, who could untap Scrying Sheets or Boreal Druid and Boreal Druid to to make more mana, which seems like that's what the standard Snow deck is about. Uh, I think these could really breathe life into it and make make it a historic viable. What are your thoughts? 
I have very fond memories of playing with Boreal Druid because I was playing back when Cold Snap was a new set. Um, and we, <laughs> I, I played in an LGS that wasn't really known for like really sticking to magic the way Wizards of the Coast intended it to be. Uh, <laughs> I remember doing a Cold Snap draft that was run by a guy who, you know, knew magic and played magic, but like was, uh, what's the term, game master for a lot of other games um, that work differently than magic. So we did did a cold snap draft with six packs and uh that was an insane draft but i i have very fond uh memories of of boreal druid i guess i can't really speak too much for uh, scrying sheets I've, I've actually never played that card but historic already has land war elves um i was actually thinking about picking arbor elf uh for my list i decided against it but i think that historic can handle another land of war elves um that just works on a slightly different axis so i love boreal druid for historic yeah i think the colorless mana makes it quite a bit less powerful too like the decks that want a critical mass of um of mana dorks might play this but like, it's not going to break things in the way that Birds of Paradise might. And yeah, I was thinking about Arbor Elf too, but I already had to stop my list from just being half of my modern Mono Green Devotion deck. I've only included a couple cards from it here. Um, so I ended up cutting Arbor Elf as well. But yeah, I think some other one mana mana dork is, is due for Historic. Yeah, and Boreal Druid is probably, um, because Arbor Elf is good, but like, there are good ways to break it. This, yeah. you, I mean, I hate to say you can't break it, but like its power comes from a different axis, a, a less breakable axis than Arbor Elf. So, yeah, um, I oh yeah, and um, Scrying Sheets was the subject of one of my most uncomfortable W's in Magic. I won a PPTQ. I've won two PPTQs, and one of the ones that I won in the top eight, I won my first. I won game one of my first round for free because my opponent had just put Island and Plains on their deck list and not Snow Island and Snow Plains, and it mattered because they were playing Scrying Sheets. Oh, yes. it was a blue-white control list, and I like I told the guy like uh, I apologized to the dude, um, and he was like, "You're not sorry," and I was like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> this is how this these next two games are gonna go," and then they did go that way, um, and I, I well, it did. I we only played one game, but. Um, because we got to sideboard and stuff. It was, yeah, it was rough. Yeah, that's, um, if you're going to be playing in P PTQs, like, you need to know that that's part of the game. Um, so, you know, any any spike worth their salt is going to be like, yeah, yeah, you got me. Good job. I, I will never make that mistake again. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, and I, I'm the kind of guy, like, I might have been socially pressured into just giving him, like, like, started and, like, not taking the win for game one. But I, no, he, when he, when I apologized and he was like, you're not sorry, I, it's just like okay, cool. I'm yeah, yeah. Sure. I'm just gonna curb stomp you, I guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So you have chosen death. Um, yeah. So speaking of mana dorks, um, you want a very strong answer to them, uh, and a card that doesn't do anything else. It just answers mana dorks. Tell us about lightning bolt. All it all it does is do three mana, man. Or sorry, all it does is do three damage. That's all it does. Yeah. All, all you do is you cast it, and it does three damage. I am talking about lightning bolt. Um, as you say, the best red card. I do think that this is the best red card. Uh, lightning bolt. For those of you who don't know this classic card, which is okay. Uh, it is a one mana instant for one red. Lightning bolt. Uh, lightning bolt deals three damage to any target. Absolute classic card. And the reason that I'm putting it on this list, because uh, this would be very powerful for historic i think we can all agree on that. yeah <laughs> yeah 
well, a lot of it is the same reasons for Path to Exile. Um, I I think that if the format is going to have Thoughtseize in it and be a Thoughtseize format, then I think that it's appropriate for Lightning Bolt uh, to, to also be in there. Modern magic design has come so close to Lightning Bolt so many times. Uh, yeah. We, yeah, we have Wizards Lightning. And our you know red deck wins decks in historic can often play Wizards Lightning as though it's just a lightning bolt, uh, and it's not like breaking the format. It's it's, it's not the clear uh, best deck. Um, and and then again, you know, if we're talking about historic as being a uh, a showcase of the history of Magic, you have to have lightning bolt. Um, and, and I'm curious as to your thoughts. I want to ask you if. Lightning Bolt and Path to Exile were both added to Historic. Which do you think would be the most powerful? I think it would be Lightning Bolt just because of the potential it offers to aggro decks. We've already had to see several cards banned out of aggressive decks, which usually doesn't happen in those formats because there's so many inherent checks uh, in the game. Like any life gain card sort of answers an aggro deck and is okay against mid-range so people can play it in their main board. So the fact that like aggro is strong enough to see a lot of cards banned in Historic makes me feel like I don't know, maybe maybe it's not the right time for Lightning Bolt, but as someone who just wants Historic to turn into Modern eventually, yes, uh, you know, Lightning Bolt's a part of that process. It's a Band-Aid we've got to peel off. Um, you know, it's certainly a lot better than, like, Vendillion Click or one of these sort of washed-up Modern cards. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just love this card, and, you know, it's, it's yeah. one of the most iconic cards in Magic. I'm totally willing to listen to arguments that uh, this is too powerful for Historic, but, you know, I just, I would love to see it, and I think the Magic community would also just, like, um, lose it if Lightning Bolt was added to Historic. That would be a watershed moment for, for uh, Historic and Arena. Yeah, a soy, a soy face moment, to be sure. I'm actually, um, uh, once I uh, am no, no longer need to be employed, I'm going to get either Bolt Bird or Push Goyf tattooed on my knuckles. I haven't decided yet. Vote in the comments. Yeah, yeah. Um, please comment and give us engagement. Uh, you know, Give us all the engagement you can. Let us know, and he, I am going to make sure that he gets this tattoo, whatever you guys say. <laughs> but let Thank you to our fans. Yeah, let's let's move on. I know this is one of your favorite cards of all time. Talk about Predator Ooze. Yeah, so Mono Green Devotion is my favorite modern deck. I built it in high school and I've been playing it ever since uh, with brief breaks to play other stuff. Um, Predator Ooze is one of the key cards in that deck because uh, in modern, Path to Exile is the only way to really answer it. It's the three mana 1-1, one, one, triple green. For an Ooze, it's indestructible. When it attacks, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. And whenever it kills something, basically, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. So it's going to keep getting bigger slowly, and you really can only answer it with path. Indestructible is just... Like, most indestructible creatures just cost too much to get played in modern is the problem. But this one's only three mana. You can leave it up to block forever, and they can't swing with things with one toughness because this just eats them and get a, gets a counter. And then, you know, once you've kind of stabilized, maybe gained some life, you can start swinging with it and making it bigger so you can leave it up to block and eat stuff. It's just, I mean, it's the, it's probably the creature that's the best at combat in modern. Um, and I would love to see it in historic. Um, you know, there's not the monogreen devotion payoffs that we have in modern. Um, you know, there's no Nykthos yet. Um, but I would love to see Predator Ooze. I would love to play some terrible stompy deck um, built around this guy. What are your thoughts on Predator Ooze, Will? 
Yeah, this is one of those cards that plays a lot better than it looks when you read the card. Because I remember when this card was released, and it's just kind of like, oh, that's just kind of a dorky, uh, a dorky creature that's going to attack and block. But then I've seen its full power in your hands, in your deck, even if you're not really, like, uh, if you're in a position where you're not really capitalizing on the green devotion, just having this on the card attacking, or having this on the field attacking and blocking is pretty scary. I think this is a great choice because it's one of those cards that just looks like a fun card off the top and people are going to play it as that but then people who are in the know like you are going to be able to um you know break this and use it to its uh full potential so it's 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 good that it's not just the best cards in modern this would be a a good uh, uh selection that's just like a very good card that's also fun and has casual appeal yeah, I think that's what I was kind of shooting for with this pick. It's also worth noting you can Coco into this, um, and and Coco is on Arena, and I think we're just looking for that critical mass of good cards you can Coco into, and I think a mono-green Coco list on the horizon with that new troll with Sir Yorvo might be possible. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, you know, yeah. Devotion will probably come back at some point, and then when it does, Predators is going to be a great card to have, uh, you know, in, yeah. You know, in in the format when you know ready to go when we finally go back to a um, a playing a set that cares about how much green or whatever color uh, you have on the field. Yeah, for sure. So definitely an exciting card. Um, but this is uh, you know not just a fun pick. This is a powerful modern card. Why don't you tell us about the next one? Yeah, this is very powerful. It's called Giver of Runes. This is a um, relatively new card that was added to Modern through Modern Horizons. Uh, and uh, we do have audio-only listeners, so I'm going to make sure to read all these cards. Uh, Giver of Runes is a 1-2 um, creature for 1 mana, 1 white, creature core cleric. Uh, you can tap it, and another target creature you control gains protection from colorless or from the color of your choice until end of turn. So it's supposed to be an up updated version of Mother of Runes, which is a legacy playable card. Giver of Runes has proven itself uh, as a um, as a as a role player in modern for you know uh, creature decks that can use white or splash white. Like even in fact um, has uh, some versions that will use white for both Teferi, but also Giver of Runes. Uh, this is it's important to protect yourself from colorless threats and infect. <laughs> yes, that that's true. That's actually that's not too far from the truth. Um, Giver Runes has proven itself to be a very powerful card. So if we want Historic to be a powerful format, I think Giver Runes has a spot there. The thing that I'm mostly thinking about with Giver Runes is, like we mentioned before, there's the zeitgeist around what is white supposed to be doing, and yeah. it's obviously not drawing cards. Let's just throw that out there. <laughs> I think that Giver of Runes is like the perfect example of an effect that is uniquely and solely in white. Uh, so I would like to see Giver of Runes put into Historic um, to highlight the fact that this is a white effect. If you're playing a powerful white deck, this is what you have that other decks don't get. Now, I will I will see this may be too powerful. Um, you know, uh, this this is not a card I have too much experience playing with on my own. And I know that um, I know that it's powerful. I know that Mother of Runes is very powerful. Um, but I, I think that this card um, deserves a chance to shine in Historic. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, this will help aggressive decks, it'll help mid-range decks, it'll help combo decks, I think, but not in, like, a broken way. Um, 
this will definitely be one of the cards that you look to play in historic. And they could pretty easily add it to like uh, I don't know, like a, a Zendikar, uh, like the 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 um, uh, Battle for Zendikar remastered or something. Um, just kind of slide it in there because it is like a, a it's a card, it's a card that obviously exists on Zendikar in terms of flavor. Um, I will say one of my favorite W's I ever took in a game of Magic, and I think I've told the story on the podcast before, was crumble to dusting your um, Ink Moth Nexus, and you turned it into a creature, and, um, God, what's the name of the card? Uh, the Apos- Disciple? Apostle's oh, yeah, Blessing. Apostles. Yeah, you Apostle's blessing it with protection from red, and I was like, uh, this isn't a red card, sir. It has Devoid. Um <laughs> And that was pretty great. And you um, filed a bug report. <laughs> yeah, um, that reminds me of another one. I may have also told this story, but um, I animated Blink Moth Nexus. Or no, um, someone tried to spreading seize my Blink Moth Nexus. I animated it in response, and they were like, it's it's still it's still an island. And I was like, oh, hell no. Apostle's Blessing. <laughs> my creature protection from blue. But um, yeah, one thing I want to highlight with Giver of Runes, and maybe this is less true with Giver of Runes than Mother of Runes, but this is a skill testing card. Like, this is not just a big, dumb beater. Like, you know, this is one of those very spiky cards that separates the good players from mediocre players. So that's, I think, another reason why it deserves to shine in Historic. Yeah, it's skill testing on both the part of the player playing it and the player playing against it, which is rare for any magic card. But like, you have to think about when you want to spend its ability, and your opponent has to think about whether they'd like to try to remove it or you know blow two instant speed removal spells on another creature, um, just to get rid of it immediately. Yeah, so Giver Runes, I think, has a place if they want to do it. But um, another very um, powerful and historic card uh, is Ajani Vengeance, the uh, the Boros uh, Planeswalker. Why don't you talk about Ajani a bit? I'd say very powerful, um, but I love this card. Um, so, fun story about a Johnny Vengeant. Um, I had the most crinkled, water-damaged copy of a Johnny Vengeant that I got in a trade with my roommate because we were like a dollar uneven. Um, and I told him to pick one of my records, and I was going to slide it into the sleeve of that record. Uh, and then, you know, whenever I listen to that record again, I'll see if the card is flat. Um, and he picked Weezer's Pacific Daydream, so I no longer own an Johnny Vengeance. Ooh, yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, for those who don't know, a Johnny Vengeance is two, a red and a white. Uh, uh, it's a planeswalker, a jo- or legendary planeswalker now, a Johnny. Uh, three loyalty, plus one. Target permanent doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So, not super strong, but that minus two is Lightning Helix. Deals three damage to target creature or player, and you gain three life. And minus seven, destroy all lands target player controls. So, you know, a one-sided Armageddon. Mm. Um, but the, the good thing about this card, what you're generally going to be doing is putting it down, removing a threat, and then just using the plus one on one of your opponent's lands every turn. Um, it's good in, like, mid-range decks to add a little bit of resource denial, maybe keep your opponent a mana behind while you're still trying to do things by just keeping their lands tapped with that plus one. Um and then, you know, the the ultimate's kind of a pipe dream, but if you can just get two lightning helixes off of this, then you have definitely made four mana worth of value. And I would love to see what kind of mid-range and maybe control decks this sees plays play in in um in historic on arena. Yeah, Ajani Vengeant, uh, maybe magic design has kind of passed this card up. But this, I mean, this has 
tournament pedigree. This is um, has has shined in tournaments uh, for for quite a while. Maybe not so much these days with our overpowered formats, but this was definitely a uh, a powerhouse of a card in its day. So in terms of historic being a highlight of historic cards, Ajani Vengeance definitely deserves a place there. And you're absolutely you're absolutely right. It is powerful, but it's kind of been outshined. So that I think that makes it that by itself makes it a great inclusion for historic if it is a card that can be powerful but is like clearly not the most powerful thing you could be doing and it's good to have a, a boros planeswalker that isn't just make uh you know make one one tokens <laughs> and then attach equipment to them this kind of you yeah. know, works works on different axis and gives them a little bit more to do i agree i think um i think the I, I, there are cards that just feel good to play they just they, they they maybe they test your skill. They just tickle your brain in the right way. And a Johnny just has a good play feel to me. Um, and the other thing is, you know, they can't really justify making this a rare instead of a mythic. So I'll get to spend my glut of mythic wild cards on this if they put it in if they slip it into a set hmm. uh, instead of my rares, which I'm kind of starved for. Yeah, it seems seems like a good card. I think this is a good choice for uh, for historic. Yeah. So you've got another. Um, Pretty powerful modern card with, as you said, a lot of tournament pedigree. Tell us about Court of Calling. Yeah, we were both going to pick this, and uh, you ceded it to me because you're such a gentleman. Uh, but yeah, Court of Calling. You know, th this is another card that you know a very, um, a very well-known, popular card from original Ravnica. Uh, it is, it's an instant for X and then three green, uh, and then it has Convoke, uh, which means that when you cast it, you can tap your creatures to help pay for the mana cost, one or one of the colors of that creature. Uh, but ultimately, you're searching your library for a creature card where converted mana cost X or less and put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So, you know, this is one of the premier search your library for a creature and put it into play spells uh, for those like toolbox creature decks. Um, historic doesn't have one of these spells. And if you're going to bring one of them into historic that's playable, uh, Court of Calling is the obvious choice. Like, I don't think you're going to do Green Sun Zenith, although maybe you could. I, I don't know. But Cord seems to be the most uh, balanced version of this. Now, Not Eladomri's Call? Oh, I, I I know the card, but I don't know what it does. Is it it's just a green and a white to tutor for a creature. Oh, Put okay. it in your hand. Oh, no, no. I, I, I'm specifically talking about putting onto the battlefield. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Then probably, yes. Uh, maybe Eldritch Evolution could be a replacement for this. Um, you know, one of those two uh, could could go into Historic. Historic currently has Collected Company, which is a very very good card. Uh, everyone knows why, why that card's good. And it looks like Historic is at the power level where... Coco can um, be a good but not the best thing that you can do. And I think that if Historic can have Coco, kind of, kind of like the, the Thoughtseize thing, if Historic can have Coco, then I think it can have Cord. Maybe the two together is too powerful, but um, there's definitely precedent for this <coughs> this type of powerful effect in, in green uh, to exist in Historic. Yeah, I don't think the two existing together is ever an issue. I don't think I've seen decks that play both just because if you want to play Coco, you have to basically you could you basically can only play four things that can't get hit by Coco that are spells. You can play like four removal spells or the four chords. And if you want to play chord, you also kind of need to play stuff like a Restoration Angel, which can't be grabbed by Coco. So I think they compete for space in a deck list. Like maybe just seeing both decks will be a little bit annoying. But I I think chord is an excellent pick. I love the decks that play it. I think Smooth Brains immediately go toward like tapping Saprlings to get Ulamog. But like. 
the 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 in between of this card, just the sort of neutral, like the like the okay state of this card is really good. Um, there's plenty of cards on Arena that grab an instant or sorcery out of your uh, discard, so you can like cord for a creature that does that, grab grab cord back, and then next turn cord for a creature that blinks that, get cord back, and just fill up your board. Maybe find some creatures that make an infinite combo if we have any of those yet. I I think that historic. Uh, has room for a, a like super techie toolbox deck uh, and there's no real tools like stuff like that exists but there's no real playable tools that make something like that really exist like coco you're kind of it, it's more of like a critical mass uh type yeah card. um so cord could open up a a deck that is very toolboxy and let you play tons of one ofs and let a deck like that be um uh pow- you know um exist and be powerful so i think cord has a place Oh, we should put Voice of Resurgence on this list. Oh, oh, buddy. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Okay, we're probably going to do another episode of this once the well runs dry. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, but uh, speaking of bad cards to put in the historic anthology, based on what I just suggested, not Cord. I think Cord's an excellent pick. Um, I know y'all are going to be disappointed in me. Um, I know I said no Cascade cards were going to go on this list, but... Um, I'm showing restraint by not putting Bloodbraid Elf on this list, but in return, you have to let me put two Cascade cards on this list. Okay, fair, fair um, enough. Uh, please sell me on why Cascade should be in Historic. It, uh, deck go brrr. Okay, <laughs> I'm uh, sold. It, it's fun. Um, so this is Bituminous Blast. So for those who aren't aware of what Cascade is, um, when you cast a spell of Cascade, you reveal cards from the top of your deck until you reveal a cheaper spell, and then you get to cast that for free. So it's like you're playing this card, and then you get, like, a random spell that's cheaper than it from your deck. And sometimes that'll be, like, a one-drop that doesn't really... Like, the Cascade cards tend to be a little powered down. So sometimes that tends... To, it's never something you'd want to play if it didn't have Cascade. So sometimes that tends to be, like, a one-drop um, that, like, doesn't really make up the difference between what you paid for the spell and what it did. But sometimes you're cascading, like, a Bloodbraid Elf into an Eternal Witness, for example. And you're getting a, a 3-2 haste and a 2-1, and you're bringing something back from your discard, which is something you should never be able to do for 4 mana. So it's a very high variance mechanic, which I know I shit on a lot. I hate randomness in game design where it's not absolutely necessary. So I cannot reconcile why I like Cascade. It is completely intellectually inconsistent. But with that tirade out of the way, Bituminous Blast is an instant for three, a black and a red. With Cascade, four damage to target creature. It's a removal spell, but maybe it'll find you a creature. Maybe it'll find you another removal spell. Maybe it'll find you a lightning bolt, and the worst thing you can do with it is hit him in the face. You know, Maybe it'll find you a Thought Seize. Bituminous Blast can grab a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, it's great for a control deck. Uh, not 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 control decks that play counter spells because then you can whiff. But it's um, it's great for like mid range decks that might want to play black and red. I'm thinking like the deck that I want to build around Angraf once we're at a critical mass of squeeze cards would probably want the two minutes blast. What are your thoughts on the two minutes blast? Do you think Arena could handle it? Um, r- real quick, um, because you mentioned that's uh, logically inconsistent for you to like be against uh, uh too much RNG in games, but love Cascade, and I don't really think that that's logically inconsistent. You're right; it is random, and most of the time, uh, you know, like if you're playing a reasonable Cascade spell, um, you're not like cascading into a combo piece that immediately wins. So it is random, but you're getting it is a two for one, like a guaranteed uh, two for one every time if you're building your deck right. Um, so like, I mean, you know, we're Magic players; we love value. You know, we always we're always looking for for more ways to gain value over our opponent. A entirely free, powerful card that you at least choose to be in your deck. 
I, you know, has, I, I think Cascade has proven that that is more than enough reason to deal with the random, uh, randomness of Cascade. So I don't think it's weird at all that you like Cascade as much. It's just so much value. Yeah, I do love value. Value is my favorite thing in card games. Um, Bituminous Blast, I think, is probably the fairest Cascade card they could print, other than maybe um, Enlisted Worm or whatever. The 6-6 six, six for 6 that's green and white uh, yeah. with Cascade. Yeah, yeah. So for this card specifically, I, I was going to make a similar point. I think that this is probably the baseline for how you could put Cascade in Arena. I think just on a um, on a, a philosophical level, I'm against Cascade being in Arena at all. But if they're going to print an older Cascade card, I think Bituminous Blast is a good choice. It, it needs to be a higher um, uh, CMC card. Um, it can't. I don't think it can be a three mana one, which I will talk about that here in a bit. Um, but I think five. Right. I think five mana is the baseline to where it like it's it costs so much that it's so much harder to break it and turn it into a. Um, uh, you know, I just I just cascade for my combo piece, uh, and uh, you know this does just do four damage to target creature as it's as it's yeah. effect. So if if cascade is going to be an <clears throat> arena, I think this is where a good place to start. So I think this is a good choice. I want the next Sarkon they print to be a planeswalker with cascade. Uh, Why? Well, yeah, game design is my passion. Yeah, and with white mana. Uh, no, I want it to be good. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. So speaking of good, um, you've got a sort of, I think, a well-balanced pick. Why don't you tell us about Magus of the Moon, Magus of the Moon? Blood Moon, I think, is too powerful for uh, for Historic. I think we can yes. just, I think we can just say that. But um, something I've been talking about a lot, um, you know, Historic being a highlight of Historic cards, and Blood Moon is one of those. There are a number of Blood Moon type effects in uh, Arena already. There's like a Blood Sun, uh, Alpine Moon, a couple of those, but none of them come to the power of uh, Blood Moon. So if if they're going to try to put Blood Moon into Arena, I think it needs to be on a removable creature. So that's why I've picked the Magus of the Moon. Um, you know, very, very powerful, well-played card in uh, modern and other formats. Uh, this is a three mana creature, so two generic and then one red. Creature human wizard, it's a two two, and it just says non-basic lands are mountains. So this lets you play Blood Moon, and then the creature is, you know, if your opponent can remove the creature, then it goes away. So like this, this is how you can get uh, Blood Moon, to, uh, you know, into historic, and it be balanced. Plus, you get shenanigans like Coco and Court of Calling, where you could search this out, like Neoform, Van, uh, uh some stuff like that. So I, I think that this is the right balance power level for Blood Moon in historic. I agree. I think Historic could handle Blood Moon. I have always been much more down on Blood Moon than most people. When I played Mono Green Devotion, I would always tell people how bad I died to Blood Moon, so they would sideboard Blood Moon in against me because I don't give a shit about Blood Moon. It doesn't really hurt me at all in Mono Green Devotion. I am a more of a Ponza guy, and my personal philosophy about messing with your opponent's lands is why would you let them have red mana when you can let them not have any mana at all? Um, yeah, that's for three mana, you can just be blowing up their lands, and for more, you can be blowing up their lands and getting value. So I just want strong land destruction in Historic um, rather than um, Magus of the Moon. I think Magus of the Moon would see a little play. I, I, you know, Maybe there would be some like white-red hate bears um, sort of list like we've seen in Modern, but um, I think Magus of the Moon is like easily, easily 
printable and historic and would not break anything. I would question whether it would see play, honestly. It it would be really good against the Sotai Uro piles. Um, and then maybe that a few, and maybe a few other decks, but like like um, uh, Gruel Gruel Stompy, um, so like a uh, Blue Tempo. Yeah, there's a lot of decks that this would just do stone nothing against. So I think it's yeah. at a good power level. Uh, is Uro? Yeah, Uro's banned in historic. Uh, no, no, we talked about this. It's banned in standard, but it's uh, it's still legal in historic. Oh yeah, you're right. Okay, my bad. That's okay. Yeah, well, I, just, I just googled it. It's banned in like every fucking format except historic. Yeah, which is which is messed up. So just so no, it's the most played creature. Sorry, it's the most played creature in every format. The, the format's abandoned. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, for all the listeners, watchers of Gutshot, just please know that we are never going to know what cards are legal in any format. Do do not listen to us when we talk about that kind of thing. Uh, both me and and Frederick have no idea, and we will tell you wrong. Yeah, I'm working on this sick modern brew with this sleeper card I found called Punishing Fires. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, is that the end of your thoughts on Magus of the Moon? Magus yeah. of the Moon? Is, yeah, is yeah. it Magus or Magus? Make fun of us in the comments. We've got it wrong both ways. Yes, please uh, please comment and tell us how stupid we are. Excuse me, um, how silly we are. I, I absolutely want to um, hear how angry you are at us uh, and our terrible opinions. But, I, Frederick, I want you to uh, convince me on three mana cascade. Speaking of terrible and absolutely indefensible opinions, um, this is not legal and modern. This is a legacy card, um, Shardless Agent. And this is my attempt to not just pick a modern card. One a green and a blue for a 2-2 with Cascade. Artifact, creature, human, rogue. Very simple, very powerful. Um, yeah, you get to, like, Cascade into, I don't know, like a fucking Tarmogoyf or something. Um, uh, this sees a lot of play in Legacy. Shardless Bug and uh, Shardless Teamer are both pretty good decks. Um, or at least were the last time I played Legacy, like, three years ago. Um, and the Shardless Agent is really the engine behind those. You don't play any counter spells, but you, like, Shardless Agent, you can, like, brainstorm, um, like, a good two-drop on top of your deck, and then Shardless Agent and guaranteed to cast it. Brainstorm plus Cascade is busted. Uh, and, I mean, we're not going to have Brainstorm on Arena Historic anytime soon, I would hope. Ooh, but Yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, but I think Shardless Agent is still really good even without Brainstorm because as long as you... Like, the the barrier for including this in your deck is basically just you have to kind of not play counter spells. But, like, even this just hitting an Opt is, like, really good. Uh, and then this hitting, like, a Thought Seize if you're in Sultai or this hitting, like, whatever the best green two drop on Historic happens to be at the time. Uh, I think this card's really good. I could not make the case to you that it would be balanced. <clears throat> I just want it. I think that the new Tibbles Trickery actually breaks this. I think Tybalt's Trickery breaks itself. Sure. Have you seen the ice, the standard decks? I thought it was bad, and I was making fun of Bronzies for complaining about it, but it turns out I was the Bronzy all along. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I very much appreciate your guts for suggesting this card. Um, I, I don't think I can agree um, for all the reasons we mentioned before, but if Charlotte's Agent was added to Historic, I mean, it would definitely be a sensation um it would yeah. people would come up with very creative ways to break it um I, unfortunately i don't think anyone would play this just a value cascade card i don't think that's true i think it would see i don't know i mean i i, I audience tell us how you would break this in historic uh if you i i don't know if i i think this would be better as a value card than as a broken card i just think it would be too good as a value card 
Okay, okay, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, I would um, trust your judgment on this. Although I would say, uh, if Shardless Agent was printed, I would immediately become a Tybalt's trickery, like a uh, uh, cheese it out with a Cascade type person. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is. I just, see what you're saying. Yeah, this is just kind of out of nowhere. I, I, this card just kind of made me think about the Baleful Strix. Do you think that that has a place in the store, or is that just way too good? Uh, no, I think it's totally fine. Um, probably like we have the quattle in modern that's like kind of just better. And like, if they give us that, like we can give it death touch easily with like the snow cards that exist in arena. Um, so I think it's not that far off from just getting, uh, I don't think anyone would argue that the quattle's too strong for historic. So I think the, the Strix is not very far off. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, th- I, I think it would be fine. But I also just want historic to turn into modern. And there are several legacy cards that I would want brought over to modern. Uh, before they stop doing Legacy forever, okay. um, which includes like Baleful Strix, probably Shardless Agent, um, you know, a few a few others. Okay, uh, fair fair enough. Uh, just a just a card I was thinking about, but Shardless Agent, I think a very bold pick. Yeah, um, I think it's definitely my boldest pick on the list. Probably um, this one is less bold, more of a, a format police card that I think is direly needed. And I like your I like your pick. Tell us about Price of Progress. Yeah, this is my bold pick. Um, I just I just love this card so much, and I, I want to play it so bad. Price of Progress, a classic uh, modern, or not modern, legacy burn card. Uh, two, It's a, a red instant, two mana, one generic, and one red. Price of Progress deals two damage to each player for each non-basic land he or she controls. So, you know, in any format that's uh, relying heavily on dual lands or utility lands, this is going to pop off for six, eight, uh, eight damage off of two mana at instant speed. Um, you know, this is one of the cards that makes Legacy Burn a playable a playable deck in that high-powered format. Um, you know, sometimes it'll whiff. That's why this card um, is, you know, not the best thing you can do in the format. Um, but, yeah, this is just a powerhouse of a card. I do think that this is way too powerful, but, man, I would just be so happy. I would never play anything other than Red Deck Wins, like Burn style, if this card was an historic. And if Wizards loved me, like, please please print this in historic so i can show you how broken it is yeah print printed too um it's got an interesting like corner case effect where if you're non-binary and you use they them pronouns or neo pronouns you don't actually have to take any damage off of price of progress mm-hmm. um so i'm assuming they would change the the language because i think in like dominaria they switched to using they pronouns to describe um uh, people in in text boxes and and gamers angry, which is the only thing that fulfills me um, sure. now. But yeah, I think Price of Progress is a completely fair card, and I think it should exist in every format. Um, I think non basic lands enable like stuff like Tron. I would never want to see Tron. Well, no, I'm cool with seeing Tron and Historic as long as we see Ponza and Historic. But um, like it enables Tron, it enables like janky three color decks that have really greedy mana bases, and I think Price of Progress just keeps those in line. If you want to be sort of more immune to price of progress you have to just play less non-basic lands like that or you get eaten by price of progress and i think that price of progress allows them to print more powerful non-basic lands which will allow the format to become more interesting so i like price of progress as a pick i don't even know if i would call it old i think it's just a very good call 
I was actually really wanting a price of progress for like non-basic snow lands for Kaldheim, which would be standard, which would be a, like an appropriate power level for standard. So like uh, deals damage for each non-basic snow land, uh, like each player controls. Uh, I, I think that that, you know, it'd be two damage for each. I think that would have been a cool way for um, Kaldheim standard to have a, a snow hoser, so to speak. Yeah, uh, we got literally one card that punishes snow, and it was a white creature that makes snowlands come in tapped. Did you know about that card? Yeah, yeah, I did. I don't think oh, okay, I cool. don't think it really hits the mark in terms of hosing snow. Yeah, no, it's fucking terrible. Um, <laughs> I think they should have printed more powerful snow cards and more powerful snow hosers. So I'm right there with you. Uh, and I think uh, I think that that sort of effect could have been pretty interesting. Maybe on the back of a creature. Right, right, right. Uh, like an end of the battlefield trigger or something. Yeah, that seems good. Um, so. Uh, I want to update. I want to update you on the Oracle text for Price of Progress. They've actually already fixed this. Uh, price oh, of Pro right. Price of Progress deals damage to each player equal to twice the number of non-basic lands that player controls. Okay, nice. I like two damage for each non-basic land. That feels better, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. But the the they the they pronouns are based. Um, yes, already inclusive. Thanks, wizards. Yeah. But yeah, um, yeah. is so that, that just the Oracle text, or have we seen a printing like that? Oh, um, I think Eternal Master. Yeah, Eternal Masters oh, okay, has cool. that wording. Nice, nice. Um, but yeah, so this is probably my other boldest pick. Yeah, talk, tell us about um, Faithless. <laughs> hey, uh, try to explain to us why Faithless Looting is a good card. Uh, I I can't. You're not even netting any cards. It's terrible. Uh, you're actually going down a card. Um, no, so this is uh, banned in Modern now, and I think it died for Hogak's Sins. I think several cards died for Hogak's Sins and probably deserve to come back uh, now that Hogak is banned. But Faithless Looting is a red for a sorcery. Draw two cards, then discard two cards. Flashback for two and a red. Um, and the thing that really made this broken, I think everyone knows, was dredge in modern. You know, you're not actually drawing two cards. You're dredging two cards, and so you're milling half of your deck for one mana um, a lot of the time. So that's why Faithless Looting is really strong in modern. But there's no dredge cards on Arena. And, you know, I mean... Rosewater said, like, Dredge was a mistake. They're not going to print any new Dredge cards. It's about as likely to get reprinted as Storm. Um, probably less. And so I think, you know, if they decide never to add those old Dredge cards to Arena, then I think Faithless Looting is absolutely a fair card and probably interacts in a fun and balanced way with the format. You know, decks that really want to dump shit into their graveyard, perhaps so that they can refurbish a Gear Hulk or something, or refurbish Godfarer's Gift are going to really like this because right now all they have access to like the best stuff is like cathartic reunion and then the instant speed tormenting voice. Um, so faithless looting will really give those decks a shot in the arm. How do you feel now? Did faithless looting uh, exist in modern with Uro at the same time? No, no, it did not. That's my, that's my concern is that I think this turbo uh, fuels Uro decks. Uh, and that I is... think Uro should be banned. I think Uro was a design mistake that they need to clean up. Okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and I do believe we have Hollow, uh, Hollow One uh, in uh, Historic as well through Amonkhet. Does that sound right to yeah, you? Yeah, yes, I think that's fine. Uh, you know, one mana 4-4 four, four is not the most broken thing you can be doing on turn 2 or 3 in, uh, in, in Historic. So yeah. I'm not worried about it. Yes, we do have Hollow One in um, 
uh, in Historic. So I, I love this card, and I do think that it is a pushed card, but by itself, it's okay. Um, you're, you're, you're right. Um, I don't think, I, I have doubts about this being able to exist uh, in the same world as Uro, but you're right. If, if one of those needs to go, it needs to be Uro and not Faithless Looting. Um, so yeah, yeah, um, there is um, a room in Historic for this card to feel your graveyard for basically more balanced things to break your graveyard, <laughs> like Hollow One or, or stuff like that. So yeah, with other changes to Historic, I think this would be a good pick. Yeah, and you know maybe we can see it played with like Drake Haven, uh, like those types of decks. I just think this opens up a lot of fun decks that just don't have the tools yet. And I think if it if it makes broken decks more broken, then those decks should be looked at and not necessarily Fatal Looting. All right, fair enough. I think that you have uh, sold me on this. Uh, as okay. on, on its own, I think this is a good pick. Yeah. All right. The podcast's official stance is that Faithless Looting should be on Arena. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm totally fine with that. Put my name on that. Okay. All right. So um, the next card, so you, you tell us about Worm Coil Engine. <laughs> well, man, what's there to say? All it does is attacks and blocks. That's all it does. <laughs> um, worm Coil Engine, very classic card. Um, it's a 6-6 six, six for 6, artifact creature Worm, Death Touch, and Lifelink. And then when it dies, you create a uh, you create two 3-3 three, three Worm artifact creature tokens, and one of them has Death Touch, and one of them has Lifelink. Um, it's 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 a it's a great just like value beater that you know dies and then leaves uh, you know the two tokens um, has mod you know um, has a tournament pedigree uh, is a good card and the reason I'm thinking about this other than it just being a pet card of mine um, there's no Tron on Arena so I, I think that that kind of will help differentiate um, you know like the historic meta game from like modern or, or you know those other things where you would be casting this off of off, off of Tron but. Arena has colorless synergies that are actually pretty okay. Um, we have yeah. the we have the Forsaken Mo uh, Monument. We have the Emery. Um, there's the Paradox Engine deck that um, has um, uh, certain certain types of results. We'll say we'll say that. And I think that Worm Coil Engine is a it's a classic card that they could add to Arena to be a payoff for those decks without just being like. It's not Ugin. It's not like play it down and just wipe everything and you know right. you get to keep all your um, artifacts. It's just a good value beater for those decks to profit off of. So I think it has a place. My concern is that it may pair too well with Ugin, both of them actually. Young Ugin makes this a four drop and Big Ugin um, wipes the board and doesn't wipe this. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's easy enough to ramp up to Big Ugin that like you're not doing it with Tron, but you're do <laughs> you're going to end up in the place where you're doing the things that modern Tron is doing in the late game anyway. Uh, and is that and instead of doing it on turn three, you're doing it on turn four or five. Like, is that too good? And I would say maybe. Um, I like Worm Coil Engine a lot. I think the interactions that it has with Big Ugin and and, and War of the Spark Ugin make me and maybe like even. Um, War of the Spark Karn make me a little hesitant to be like just straight up excited for it. But something important to note: this was the example of the card when they announced what historic anthologies were going to be and what they were going to be giving us. This was the example of the power level of card they might give us in those anthologies, and they've still never printed it in an anthology. Wizards does weird things sometimes. I I remember that. I don't remember Worm Coil Engine being in that specifically. The only one I can remember off the top of my head was Dark Confidant, which is also something we never got. 
Yeah, I would love that too. I think what they said was like, we're not going to give you these cards exactly, but this is the power level you should be looking at. Like, what's the fucking point of that? Like, no magic player is ever good at evaluating power level. They're just going to complain on Twitter, whatever you show them. So you might as well show them the actual cards you're going to give them. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Um, I'm totally yeah. I'm totally understanding you know with you on the uh, concerns about the power level of Worm Coil Engine, but it's a cool card. It has synergies with what's already in the format, and it's not the <laughs> most broken thing that you can do out of all of Magic. So um, yeah. I would say, and as they as they say. You have two wolves inside you. One of them is a 3-3 colorless worm artifact creature token with death touch, and the other one is a 3-3 colorless worm artifact creature token with lifelink. Yes, yes, true. I would certainly be excited to see this card come to arena. So I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Um, but there is there are other more powerful artifacts that could come, and Batterskull is definitely one that has a lot of tournament pedigree. So uh, why don't you uh, um, argue for Batterskull? Yeah, I don't think this is as broken as uh, as Worm Coil Engine. I think it's definitely strong. Uh, I mentioned on our like Mechanics I Want to Return podcast how much I love Living Weapon, and this is definitely the best Living Weapon card. Um, so Batter Skull is a five-drop equipment with Living Weapon. You know, When it comes in, you get a 0-0 zero, zero Black Germ and attach the Batter Skull to it. Equip Creature gets plus four, plus four, and has Vigilance and Lifelink. Uh, and then it's equipped later for five, which is obviously a pretty immense cost, but the point is that it comes in. Uh, and then three, Return Batter Skull to its owner's hand. I think this card by itself is absolutely fine. It's only broken with like Stoneforge Mystic putting it into play at instant speed for two mana. This, um, yeah, this is a great pick. I was thinking the exact same thing without ways, like without like really good ways of breaking this, like Stoneforge Mystic. This is a perfectly fine card while being at a, a good power level. This is a great pick. Yeah, I think it might be the top end if like a, a Nahiri from uh, Zendikar Rising and then maybe the Uncommon Legendary from Kaldheim, like if some red-white equipment deck ends up taking hold in Historic, this would be a good top end for it, I think. You know, have having free, make sure you have some free way to equip equipment to your creature so that that five cost isn't like really deterring you. Mm. And I think Batterskull could really see some play. Yeah, great, great choice. And a classic card, again, um, we're thinking about uh, I know I keep saying this, and, and maybe not everyone would have this um, uh, outlook on it, but I do think that historic should be historic cards in Magic: The Gathering, and Batter Skull definitely fits that uh, fits that bill. Okay, yeah, I, I like Batter Skull. But speaking of historic cards, um, this card is one of the most well known amongst competitive players. Uh, uh, why don't you tell us about uh, Tarmogoyf? It just attacks and blocks, man. It just attacks and blocks. It's true. Okay, I, um, <laughs> I, I, I guess I don't have too much to say about this. I'll, I'll just say, I think that Magic has progressed. I, you know, how do I say this? Modern Magic design has made it clear that Goyf is not the like best attacking and blocking creature in the game. Um, you know, like it, it's really been on the downswing recently in older formats. Still playable, still your like go-to two-drop creature for decks that are going to you know um, play in a more fair way. But it's not the best thing that you can do. Um, it's about as historic. As you can get in in Magic: The Gathering, and yeah. I I think that if Uro and, and things like that are going to be in Historic, um, I think Tarmogoyf has a place and would be good, but not super super broken. Um, or do you agree with that? How do you feel about Goyf? Uh, I think we need more of the removal spells. Um, like Fatal Push is kind of what put the not the nail in Goyf's coffin, but kind of pushed it off of the throne for best creature in the game. 
um, just because, you know, there's a one-man instant that just kills it now. Um, but I think Black having the only efficient answer to Goyf in, um, in Arena is a bit of an issue. You know, Skuz uh, answers Goyf pretty cleanly, but um, I would want to make sure that, like, White at least has Path to Exile and maybe that Red has Lightning Bolt before I'd be comfortable with Goyf. Um, it really speaks to the way that Magic's game design has been changing, that when that fake Goyf leak went around uh, in, like, M19, I, just, I thought it was real. I didn't even, like, it looked pretty real, but I didn't think, like, this is too powerful. It has to be fake. I was just like, yeah, that seems fair. That seems like exactly the kind of thing they'd put in the core set to excite us, and I don't think it's that unreasonable. Now, this one, I do think just because uh, because of its pedigree and also, like, the fact that it's only ever been reprinted as a chase mythic in, um, uh, like, uh, modern, or not, uh, modern Masters sets, that they would mm-hmm. not just let this go for, like, $20 in an anthology. This would be, like, um, you know, a chase mythic in a uh, highly sought-after, um, like, um, remastered set, um, you know, for whether that would be good or bad i don't know um but i long i i agree with you i do think that like path to exile and and cards like that need to be um available to counter tarmogoyf but um i think that magic just modern magic is at the point where tarmogoyf can be a card yeah i i think i i pretty much agree with you uh for sure i think standard could handle tarmogoyf honestly and i I know that's a different discussion but i think i think standard can handle tarmogoyf and we could get into historic that way i i I think that modern wizards probably because it's weird how this card works with like casting spells like that you know there's that uh um you know classic um example where someone tries to bolt tarmogoyf and it doesn't work they the way they want it to i think they don't want new players seeing that um but yeah i lost an scg side event uh at an an open because of that yeah but for for historic i'd love to see it It, and this would also be a watershed moment for historic like it's like uh before tarmogoyf and then after we finally have one of the most iconic uh, creatures of magic so I don't know if it would be as much of a watershed moment as like Thoughtseize was or Path to Exile would be. I just think Golgoyf is a little washed up. Yeah, I, I guess more in a um, like cultural, like zeitgeist way. It's like oh, not in like an actual meta way. It would, yeah, at, for all the power level reasons that we talked about. But like, it, it would just be kind of like uh, it, I mean, Thoughtseize is kind of like that too, where you know there's definitely a historic before the premier black discard spell, and then you know. Um, uh, you know, the historic afterwards. Uh, and I think Goyf would be the same thing. It's it's kind of like, this is now a format where Goyf is, is available. And, you know, that's that's some that's like a, a point in Magic's history that would be noted in the history books, so to speak. Okay. I, 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 I think I could see that being the context that you would want it in. Um, we have one last card here. Yeah, yes, uh, please, yeah, please round, round this out <laughs> with what I think is a great pick. Yeah, this is a bit of a meme pick, uh, and it's kind of in here as a shout-out to my partner. This is her favorite card. Uh, a Eula Queen Among Bears is one in a green for a 2-2 legendary bear. Whenever another bear enters the battlefield under your control, you can choose to either put two plus-one plus-one counters on target bear, which can be a Eula, it can be the new bear, it can be a third bear that's just chilling and kind of watching. Uh, or a target bear you control fights target creature you don't control, which, again, that can be a Eula, that can be the other um, bear that just entered, or it can be... Um, you know, a, a third uh, bear that's just kind of chilling. Um, there has never been enough good bears at a time. Like a Eula, like if this were um, an elf that did this for elves, it would be one of the best cards in every format. Um, 
or if this were like a merfolk that did this for merfolk. But the issue is there haven't been enough bears that are just good enough on their own. Um, and if this gets dropped into historic, you know, the more good bears we see, we, we saw the good snow bear, we've got Goreclaw, you know, I think eventually over the course of enough sets, there will be a good bear tribal deck. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, yeah, this is a lot like Predator is where it's, uh, you know, all, all the same reasons apply. It, it plays better than it looks on, on paper and it already looks pretty good on paper um it it is a card that is powerful and would be very good in the hands of people who want to make it work but it also has that casual appeal you know just people who are just like oh sweet bear tribal i get to do that uh, so it, it's a great pick to kind of just not be a you know like the best competitive cards but you know just a card that's really going to get you know casual people like super into it like you know i finally get to play with my bears but also just be a great card for those who want to put in the work to make it work yeah, I uh, I think I pretty much agree with you. I would like to see more good bears to make this like more viable. I think all it would really take is honestly like a planeswalker that pluses to make bears, like a four or five drop planeswalker that plus ones to make a bear. Um, yeah, but you know, I'm not a game designer. Uh, but if we could see that eventually on like a Garuk or something, I think a Eula could see a little historic play. So I would love a Eula uh, in there. I know I'm in the minority. I know not a lot of people care about this card, but I love this card. Not just because my partner likes it, but I, I like this card quite a bit. I think that that makes it a great inclusion for a historic anthology where it's a card that's going to kind of get, you know, get people excited, be a good card, but also, I mean, I don't want to use the word filler, but also kind of be filler among the, um, you know, things like Path to Exile and, and yeah. stuff like that and your Worm Coil engines, stuff like that. Yeah. So don't know this, this is, I wouldn't say this is a mean pick at all. I think it's a very good one. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with, uh, <laughs> with all that said, those are our picks for, um, best cards for historic. Um, Will, do you want to sell this from Shet? Yeah, no, let's, let's, uh, let's go ahead and do that. I, I think that if all, if these cards or even a, a few of these cards were added to historic, I think that historic, like it would only make me want to play historic more. I, there are very few cards that could be added to historic that would make me not want to play the format. There, there are certainly a few. Um, I honestly, Thoughtseize would have been one before it was added. But like, if any of these cards were added to Historic, it would uh, uh, it would very much make me think I want to play more Historic. Uh, do you? Yeah. Do you agree? I think I pretty much agree. Maybe not Shardless Agent. That was a bad pick. Uh, but <laughs> no, if, if hey, if Shardless, if Shardless Agent was put into Historic, I would absolutely start playing it. So I don't think I don't think it's that bad of a pick. But all of that to say, there's a lot that they could do with Historic. Um, you know, especially with the um, you know, oh, it's almost like 30 years now of Magic's history. So like, there's there's a lot of room for Historic to grow without creating new cards. And I just can't wait to see how how wizards can uh, leverage the just rich history of magic and bring it into, I you know, really their premier format other than uh, commander. Like how are people playing magic these days? It's webcam commander and historic on arena. Right. So, you know, yeah. there's lots, there's lots in the future to be excited about. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, I'm hopeful for the future of historic and I think continuing to inject a couple cards like this every once in a while I would also like Modern on Arena, but they, maybe they can be separate formats. Sure, sure, sure. I'll concede that to you now. Absolutely. But yeah, yeah, let's go ahead and button this one up. 
thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Gut Shot. It means so much to us for you to be, you know, checking in with us, uh, you know, every episode and sticking with us. It means a lot, seriously, from both of us. You can follow me if you'd like. Uh, I'm at Agro Rhetoric on Twitter. Uh, Frederick is at War Crimes Uwu on Twitch, where he streams, or at FredassB or Fredass underscore B on Twitter. And you can follow the show on Twitter at GutshotPod. Uh, this has been Gutshot, um, the only Magic the Gathering podcast that is every creature type except advisor. Fuck advisors. All my homies hate advisors. <laughs> See you next time. Later. <laughs>